The history of math is our intellectual foundation to understanding science. Science, beautiful, awesome, wonderful science. It's the creative foundation to our ineffable future. Hi, I'm Gabrielle Burchak, and this is my podcast, Math, Science, History. I often promote my website, mathsciencehistory.com, which I built myself. Of all the hosts that I've been with, my experience with Bluehost has been the best. What I really like about Bluehost is their customer service. It is top-notch, and they are always there to help me. So if you're looking to build a website or you're looking to move to a new host, I highly recommend Bluehost. You can access Bluehost through my affiliate link, which is www.bluehost.com. Com slash track T-R-A-C-K slash math science history, all one word. Bluehost is fantastic and they are affordable. It's only $3.95 a month if you sign up for 36 months. So if you do the math, it's $142 to start. And for me, it was the smartest business investment I've ever made. If you are listening to this on February 27th, guess what? Tomorrow is not the last day of the month. It's leap year. Fun fact. Did you know that many people credit the correction of the calendar to Julius Caesar? However, it wasn't Julius Caesar who corrected the calendar. It was his mathematician and astronomer, Sosigenes, who converted the 10-month calendar into a 12-month calendar. But why did he do this? Everybody thinks that Julius Caesar did this because he was really a smart guy who cared about the calendar. But that's not really the case. Really, if Julius Caesar were alive today, he'd probably be the most trending man on Instagram. He loved publicity and dramatic flair. So, here's how everything went down. In 48 BC, Julius Caesar chased his son-in-law, Nasius Pompeius Magnus, also known as Pompey, into Alexandria, Egypt. You see, Julius Caesar's daughter, Julia, sadly had passed away. His son-in-law, Pompey, took this opportunity to side with the conservative faction of the Roman Senate. Well, Julius Caesar was very unhappy that his son-in-law was taking liberties and was combating him for the leadership of the Roman Senate. And so, Caesar entered into a civil war with Pompey in Pharsalus, Greece. Even though Julius Caesar was outnumbered by Pompey's troops, he won the battle. This forced Pompey to run into Alexandria to hide. Taking this opportunity for publicity and flair, Caesar chased Pompey into Alexandria with intentions to simply frighten his son-in-law. His intentions weren't to murder Pompey. Julius Caesar had plans to frighten him and then forgive him. He wanted to look like a forgiving leader. It was an operation that he often employed. We'll call it Caesar appreciation, where he would forgive his adversaries for their wrongdoings and then send them back to their homeland to continue to rule. It was kind of cool. Well, operandi Caesar appreciation didn't go so well with Pompey. Caesar did not communicate with his allies in Alexandria. They were Cleopatra and her brother husband Ptolemy Theophilopater XIII. They lived in Alexandria and they ruled over Rome and they were pretty much in charge. So when Pompey entered into Alexandria, 
Ptolemy took things into his own hands, literally, and decapitated Pompey. Ptolemy then had his tutor, Theodotus, sail out to Caesar's ship carrying the head of Pompey. This infuriated Caesar. Caesar had a reputation of showing mercy on his rivals. The decapitation of his son-in-law did not look good for Caesar. So, intent on saving face, Caesar set out to remove Ptolemy from his seat as ruler. What did Caesar do? Well, he set the moves on Cleopatra, which wasn't really hard considering she was loose. Don't get me wrong, she was smart. She spoke over 12 languages and she had studied math, philosophy, and astronomy. She made use of Alexandria's library and she read a lot. But she also knew she was hot. And she used that to her advantage as well. As a result, for my G-rated audience, Caesar and Cleopatra became boyfriend and girlfriend and held hands a lot. This was no mistake on Cleopatra's part. She wanted to rule the throne as well. So, after she got Caesar to fall in love with her, Caesar decreed Cleopatra and her brother Ptolemy as co-rulers of Rhodes with the intention to buy time and earn honor in Alexandria. Well, bad news. Ptolemy found out that his sister wife was kissing Caesar. Again, this is for my G-rated audience. <laughs> And so Ptolemy, upset by this, he was so upset by this, consulted his chancellor, Pothinus, and his general, Achilles, and then set out a plan to kill Caesar. But Caesar found out. Believe it or not, the way he found out was through his barber. Apparently, the barber knew what was going on. So Caesar went to go get a haircut before the big celebration for Cleopatra and Ptolemy as co-rulers of Rhodes. Well, the barber told him everything. So I just want to point out that it pays to have a hairdresser. They could very well save you your life. And so Caesar decided to place a guard in the hall outside of the feast. He then proceeded to kill Pothinus. But Achilles quickly escaped and ran to alert Ptolemy's army. Caesar realized this and he knew that his army was too small to battle Ptolemy's army. So Caesar sent a messenger to call for more Roman troops. Ptolemy, however, knew what Caesar was going to do. So he blocked Caesar's army and cut off communication by sea. Now Caesar was at a disadvantage. And so Caesar created disorder by setting fire to his own ships, which then set fire to the docks. This was how the fire spread. It became a blazing inferno that then caught hold on the royal quarters, which held the Museion, which is also known as the House of the Muses, which is also known as the University of Alexandria. Then the fire spread to the Alexandria Library. So for those of you who think that the library fell after Hypatia's death in 400 CE, that's not really the case. Caesar actually burnt down part of the library 400 years prior. Ptolemy died when his ship sank. And so once again, even though Caesar had a smaller military, he won the battle. Caesar then left Alexandria with Cleopatra and she gave birth to his son Caesarion. And for the record, Caesar never officially acknowledged this kid as his son. What a jerk. So, back to the calendar story. When Caesar returned from Egypt in 46 BC as a dictator, there was a three-month discrepancy between the seasons and their calendar date. Harvest celebrations were taking part long before crops would grow. It made no sense. So Caesar was annoyed by the priests who were at liberty to dictate the dates of the calendar and the times as they saw fit. The church was adding holidays to profit the church, of course. And without notice, the priests had slipped in the 
intercalary month called Mercedonius. It was a challenge to track the annual cycles, to structure the seasons, as well as navigate militarily through the waters using celestial guidance. So, for Caesar, a prepared calendar would serve as a military guide. And so, with the help of the brilliant astronomer Sosigenes, Caesar created a new calendar, and this was his new propaganda. Caesar's mathematicians were able to structure the year in such a way that the year held 365 days with four equivalent seasons. Julius Caesar, with his amazing marketing abilities, decided to call this calendar the Julian calendar. Imagine that. Who knows? If Julius Caesar existed today, maybe he'd have his own marketing company. It's really impressive if you think about how he used public relations and marketing to his advantage. Very clever. So, the new calendar came in pretty handy, and by the year 400, amazing mathematicians like Hypatia were doing math to show that there were 365.24666666 days in the year. Considering that she was doing this using base 60 division, it was pretty impressive and really close. Technically, we have approximately 365.242189 days in the year. However, we rounded up to 365.25 days in the year and play with that one quarter of a day in order to make our calendar system a little bit easier. I'll explain. So, we have an extra quarter of a day in our calendar year. However, we don't use it. We set it aside until we have four quarters, which make up one whole day, and we put it into the calendar every four years. That is why we have a leap day in our calendar every four years. February gets one extra. So instead of 28 days in February, every four years we have 29. What this does is that it keeps our calendar from having a seasonal drift. Otherwise, if we didn't, the calendar year would be moving faster than the Earth moves around the sun. In fact, it would be moving so much faster that eventually we would be celebrating New Year's Eve in the middle of the summer. So you may be asking, well, why don't we just have 366 days in the year instead of 365? The problem with that is that, again, we would have seasonal drift. With 366 days a year, we'd be adding three quarters of a day every year. And if we did that, the seasonal drift would go in the opposite direction and we'd be adding too many days to our calendar. And again, we'd be celebrating New Year's Eve in the summer. Now, Sosagenis, Julius Caesar's genius sidekick, and his math team were really on to a good thing. At least they thought. You see... Easter was traditionally celebrated after the ecclesiastical full moon, which was on or around the 21st of March. However, over the hundreds of years since the Julian calendar was implemented, these dates began to drift and the calendar was off by several days. Still, that's better than two months, but still it wasn't good. Long story short, several mathematicians stepped forward and said, hey man, we need to change the calendar again. Okay, it was around 1582. They didn't really talk like that, but anyhow... The Pope agreed. And so, in October 1582, the Gregorian calendar was rolled out by Pope Gregory XIII. However, not everybody adapted to it. Some countries decided to keep the Julian calendar instead. This didn't bode well for planning events between countries. As a matter of fact, not every country adhered to the Gregorian calendar for hundreds of years. In 1752, Great Britain and its colonies finally adapted to the calendar. In 1918, Russia, Estonia finally 
adapted to the calendar. And it was only in 2016 that Saudi Arabia adapted to the Gregorian calendar. So what is the Gregorian calendar all about? Well, even though we add an extra day every four years, our calendar is still off. However, it's only off by one day every 100 years. And so to fix this, they decided to skip a leap year every 100 years. Unfortunately, an extra day still managed to sneak in, so they added an additional clause saying that if the century is a multiple of 400, then you do have the leap year. As a result, the year 1600 was a leap year and the year 2000 was a leap year because they are both divisible by 400. However, the years 1700, 1800, and 1900 are not leap years. But to me, at the end of the day, Pun intended. <laughs> I think what really matters is that one day. But I'm not talking about February 29th. I'm talking about any day. I'm talking about every day. It's not the leap years that matter. It's not the years. It's not the months. It's not the weeks. It's the days. What really matters is just one day today. So my friends, seize the day. Don't hesitate. Don't pause. Be brave. Follow your heart. Follow your passions. And just seize this day for all it is worth. And until next week, carpe diem. I'm Gabrielle Burchak. This podcast has been brought to you by Caffeine. Delicious, wonderful, nectar of the gods caffeine. Coffee, tea, coffee candy, you name it. I love it. Thank you for listening to Math Science History. If you like what you are listening to, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. I would really appreciate that. If you are interested in reading more about the history of math and science, please come visit me at mathsciencehistory.com. And while you are there, if you like what you're listening to, please feel free to click on that coffee button and buy me a cup of coffee. Until next week, carpe diem!